of an Eye, Life Stories of Trauma, Loss, Awakenings, and Epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Hello, dear ones. I hope you are doing well and enjoying the season so far, thanks in part to the sponsorship of I See That, the Integrative Center for Trauma Healing advocacy, and transformation. I know I've appreciated having more time to really develop each episode for you, going back to original blogs written in real time without any editing, but adding memories from the thousands of pages of text messages and new learnings from recent conversations with folks behind the scenes. Welcome to episode three, for real. At the end of the last episode, Billy had just arrived at the Shepherd Center a day after Archer and I had touched down in Atlanta. Billy had driven 13 hours in my little Mini Cooper all the way from Cape May to Baltimore to Atlanta. And on September 4th, his birthday, He wanted me to have a car, and it was stuffed to the gills with all the good wishes and gifts people had sent us that I had wanted to be part of Archer's new room, our new temporary home at the Shepherd Center. I knew that pictures of friends and prayer flags and orchid flowers and quiet nature sounds and soft orchestral music would create another healing sanctuary that we would need. I think I had imagined that Shepherd would be a sort of heaven, as I was so relieved to have been told about and then to be going to a place that specialized in spinal cord injury, that they would take care of Archer and love Archer and rehab Archer, and he would walk again. But I was learning in just 24 hours that we were not in rehab. We were back in another ICU, and it was by no means comfortable for any of us. Archer was struggling mightily to get off the ventilator and to breathe, but was otherwise not very responsive, mentally or emotionally at all. And we were learning the way of the land at a new facility. I don't know what I thought, but we were back in another ICU. It was a hospital on one section of a third floor of a larger facility. After I was interviewed about Archer in a small, lovely orientation room that resembled a very nice parlor room in a very nice home with Chippendale upholstered chairs and a mahogany table, I was directed towards a door to room six in the ICU. As I entered into a space with a large glass cabinet of towels, heated towels, my eyes swept the area and I could see that it was dimly lit with just a few hospital rooms with sliding glass doors and one central desk in the middle but all was quiet. Archer was already in room six. The other rooms were empty. It was like a private ICU. Within minutes and hours, we were surrounded by experts, coming in one at a time, a large team, each with a specialty, dedicated to assessing and helping to stabilize Archer. They all seemed to know what they were doing as they moved with confidence around him and in a no-nonsense manner. I thought I had learned a lot about spinal cord injury 
and the lungs and knew about PEEP settings and air pressure and bradycardia heart and blood pressure regulation. But that was the tip of the iceberg I could tell once here. I could also tell by the questions that some of them asked Archer that it was possible he may not have been the candidate profile of what they may have thought, as some were asking which hand he wrote with and preferred in sports. It scared me a little, as I thought they might send us home, and I clung even more tenaciously to what Dr. Leslie, the shepherd's chief of medicine, had promised. They would get Archer off the ventilator in three days. I prayed for that miracle. Archer had both Billy and me with him now, and Billy and I had our growing number of Atlanta friends who were texting and making extraordinary offers of help and assistance. I didn't even know we had friends in Atlanta, but I guess we did. And I leaned in and accepted their generosity as we needed so much. In this episode, you'll hear about the behind the scenes effort it took, which I knew nothing about, to prepare for our arrival in Atlanta and the anticipated continued support we would need. If you ever have a friend in trauma, it's a true gift you can give them to anticipate what they will need to maintain and to stay ahead of them implementing. From groceries to transportation to feeding the pets and even paying some of their bills. I had spent much psychic time the last couple weeks in Atlantic City worrying and orchestrating these details for Dutch beginning a new school year without me, for office staff carrying on without their manager, for our household knowing we would be away another month or so. And I realized on the plane ride that half of my mind was beginning to fill with new logistical concerns about keeping the wheels on the bus in Baltimore while figuring out a temporary new home in Atlanta. And it was only in the quiet moments of a jet ride or the wee hours of the night that allowed for these worries to cascade into my thoughts because the rest of the days were focused intensively on Archer and his care. Oh yes, the gift of others taking care of the Semps' daily living needs provided a comfort I will never be able to repay. And I will never forget, as the gratitude lives on in my cellular memory forever. So settle in, take a deep breath, and think of the ways you could bring some comfort to yourself or others during a time of need or important transitions. We all make them in our lives. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 3, For Real. Here we go. Life can change in the blink of an eye. A text message from Billy on our family chat. Hi family, I'm hanging out with Archer. They have him in a chair and he likes it. He wants to sleep, so he asked me to sing him songs that I sung to all the kids when they were little. So I went back in time and remembered our bedtime ritual songs. Take me out to the ball game, Star Spangled Banner, Hark the Herald Angels, and I've been working on the railroad. To this, I added a sung prayer, Our Father, and the Carpenters, Close to You, which I think is an awesome song for how we feel about Archer. Thanks to everyone 
for the beautiful birthday wishes. That little text touched me because Billy has always had a sweetness about him. I knew how much he loved our children. I was grateful again for what he would do to help me do what I needed as well. You know, a wave swept over me in that instance about our relationship. It sort of took my breath away, really, with a realization about Billy and me. Yes, we had been distanced and a bit strained the last few weeks, but I knew we would work together, always be there for our family. Even though I felt we were not fully on the same page about this decision to bring Archer to Atlanta, we seemed to have this unspoken commitment to our partnership in good times and in bad, and not only for our children, but for each other, for better or for worse. I imagine many long-term marriages are like this. I was grateful I married Billy. He only stayed two nights before he flew back to Baltimore. Labor Day weekend, September 5th, 2015, Saturday, day 32, day three at Shepherd. Family and friends update. When I arrived back in the room this morning to relieve Billy from the night shift, I learned that Arch had asked Billy if he'd sing to him. Billy said it was very tender as it was just like all the many years we'd take turns singing to the children when they were young, as they lay in bed before they went to sleep. Over the years, we developed a regular pattern of take me out to the ball game, followed by hark the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn king, regardless of the season. And then, I've been working on the railroad all the live long day. Always in that order. Oh, they all love take me out to the ball game, especially the four is one, two, and everybody would say three strikes you're out at the you know the rest of that part. Paula, she loved Hark the Herald. And the boys loved I've Been Working on the Railroad, especially when we sang it fast. When they were really little, they'd always join in until they drifted off in slumber. But as they got older, five and six, I'd say, most times, They'd close their eyes and just listen. They knew the routine, and it was comforting. It was comforting to us, too. The nights they were not settled, we'd add another song, but just one. Billy often added a different song that came to him, often in the form of a made-up story. I usually added somewhere over the rainbow and imagined in my mind I could sing a soft sweet version like Judy Garland in the darkness of the night settling in over the children. I loved the rhythm of our night rituals for all those years when the five children were young. You know I can't recall the last time either of us has sung to any of our children. It's been a few years for sure now that Dutch is 13. And as I think about it, when we moved 20 years ago into our bigger house, Paula and Petey scampered up to the third floor where they wanted their bedrooms to be. And Dewey, 
Archer and Dutch were not even born yet, although Dewey was growing in my womb. But even with the big third floor of bedrooms, as it turned out for many years, the children chose to cluster in just one room for sleeping, like they were having a slumber party every night. And as the nursery on the second floor, adjacent to our bedroom, had a new occupant for a couple years, who would then be transitioned to the much-awaited third floor with the bigger siblings, moving from a crib to the big bed with the temporary railing. There was always movement of rooms on the third floor, and yet still the clustering of nightly slumber parties. So the room where we always sang tended to be the same one on the third floor, now Dutch's room. And so it was. At any given point, at least three of the five and sometimes four of the five chose to sleep in the same room, blanket and pillow on the carpet between the other two single beds. They didn't care if they slumbered on the soft carpet and neither did we. We just let them. It seemed very natural. I think it must have been very comforting to them when they were ready, they'd move along into their own rooms. And so, here we are in this acute care ICU with Archer, who is probably feeling vulnerable and even childlike searching for some comfort and assurance. How easy it is to sing to him. Billy is such a good man. And I think it brought as much comfort to Billy as it did to Arch. Archer is so happy to see his dad. Poor Billy, though, was exhausted after his long drive and night vigil, all on his birthday, no less. And the emotional experience of seeing Archer in this new environment has taken a lot out of both of us. Billy crashed like I did last night in one of the apartments that Shepard very generously gives to every family to use while their loved one is here. One of our UVA friends had already been to it and left flowers and food for the weekend incredible kindness. I want to tell you about accommodations should you want to come visit Archer, which we would welcome. We have a certain number of days here in an apartment on grounds owned and operated by the Shepherd Center, about a four-minute walk from our room, literally, with two beds and a pull-out sofa and a kitchen. I intend to only use the apartment when family and Archer's friends come to visit and will sleep in the fold-out chair next to Archer until other accommodations are made. It's all good. I want to save my nights for when you and Archer's friends come to visit. Please come. So we welcome you to come on weekends, starting with next weekend and every weekend thereafter. Archer's going to be working very hard Monday through Thursday and Friday too. But on Fridays, there is a fun day, we are told, that Archer's friends who come can participate in, although it's not expected because of school. But the weekends will not be as scheduled for him, and he will so benefit from the visits of friends. I am thinking of friends Skyping or FaceTiming with Archer too once we get settled in rehab and he is stronger. If you are Archer's friends and you come, I will arrange with wonderful friends in Atlanta for you to be picked up if anyone flies down rather than driving. It's a long way from Baltimore, a 10-hour drive. I know it's asking a whole lot, but just know 
you are very welcomed to come. And we will have a place for you here at the Shepherd Center. And if it's a group and you drive, bring sleeping bags or we will get you set up with hospital blankets and pillows. But we will have a place for you to stay free. Hopefully, when you come, Archer will be off the ventilator and maybe in speech therapy to talk again using the tracheotomy. He had a bit of difficulty breathing at one point today and our respiratory therapist had assured him all in good time. They are masters here at weaning patients off a ventilator. In fact, they are number one in the country, they told us. It was another reason for our choice, especially when one doctor in Atlantic City trauma told me Archer was likely to be in a bed on a ventilator with the machine the rest of his life. But here, in less than 24 hours, they had done the magic to move Archer's peep setting from eight to five, what we had wanted for safe transport but couldn't get to without alarming blood pressure drops. And the setting, you and I breathe at normal. It's the spinal cord injury expertise we are incredibly grateful for here and of course so much is a function of time and timing as we marvel at and celebrate this expertise here we will never forget the trauma hospital that kept Archer alive when we almost lost him a few times in those bleak dark nights We thank all those there who gave good care. And we are forever grateful to the Beach Club lifeguards and the Cape May Beach Patrol who responded so quickly. Archer himself had been trained for years as a Cape May Beach Patrol junior lifeguard and just this summer had sat in on the classes for recertification that the beach club had for its guards. As James Schmucker, Archer's true lifesaver, said, Archer could have been a guard too at the beach club this summer. He just didn't fill out the paperwork. That made me laugh because it's classic Archer to be that lifelong learner. We're generally feeling optimistic, and it feels good. We had a very good day with lung x-ray clear, chest tube clamped, smaller trach tube inserted, ventilator setting still at PEEP 5, and Archer doing all the breathing, the ventilator just giving pressure since he can't do the clearing of his lungs yet himself. All in a good direction. And, drum roll please, Archer was hoisted up for the first time by a Hoya harness into an electric wheelchair where they taught him to sift and puff into a straw so he could control tilting the chair back and forth so that he cradles all the way in reclined position one minute for every 30 minutes to prevent those dreaded bed sores. And he did a huge four hours in the chair, sitting upright, which is what his body needs to heal. They say staying in the bed in a reclined position leads to all kinds of problems, so it's up and at him here. It's pretty painful for him, but he sustains it well. Archer showed a lot of courage to be hoisted in the air in a sleeve and to have three people, one holding his neck and the others steadying the crane 
and his gentle swaying long body while they neatly lowered him into the tilted wheelchair. It was pretty exciting. It was a big day. And as the day came to a close and the night began, our weekend male nurse came in to introduce himself at the ship change. He said, Hi, I'm Pharrell. And I said, For real? And he said, For real? I looked at him and said a bit incredulously, Your name is really for real? And he said, For real? I looked at Archer and he at me, and I thought I would burst out laughing. I then reached over to turn over our nurse's name badge, as it just couldn't be. It read, Pharrell, F-E-R-R-E-L-L, Pharrell, Mr. Pharrell, for us. Archer, Pharrell, and I all laughed together. (laughs) It was a moment, a wonderful moment. I mean, you gotta love the South. And Archer really laughed, a first. I mean, we couldn't hear him, of course, but it was real. And he looked so much like himself. Amen. Before we head into day four at the Shepherd Center, I wanted to share with you an excerpt from my interview with Mary McCune Dillon. She had helped prep for our arrival to Atlanta and to the Shepherd Center, coordinating with our other friends to make sure we were taken care of. This interview excerpt will take you to the days right before we arrived in Atlanta, when the Atlanta friends we didn't even know we had were corresponding and meeting to prepare for our arrival after reading my Facebook post. And just like Allison in the last episode, Mary also had a special connection to the Shepherd Center prior to our arrival there. So, where do we begin? Do we start at the beginning, your Facebook post? Mm, Okay, let's do it. Let's start with the Facebook post. I mean, that's what kindled this whole thing, I think. It was your Facebook post. And then, um, you know, the network turned on pretty quickly after that, really quickly after that, because I think my first person I was really communicating with was Madeline. And she was sort of sharing information from, you know, that group text, that group email you were sending. And I was seeing, I saw it on Facebook and I, reached out to Madeline, but I also reached out to you on Facebook. I think I PM'd you or somehow wrote you something about Shepard. Like I felt um, just personally like I had to do something about Shepard because it was the place I was familiar with, um, knew the people who ran the place, but I used to do stuff there when I was in high school. I mean, it was our sort of um, chosen place. And we'd go play volleyball with the paraplegics when I was a teenager. So I've always had this sort of connection. And um, at the time, we were doing a lot of charity work through National Charity League with our daughters at Shepherd. And so we had this sort of ongoing relationship, if you will. And when I saw the thing about Archer, it was like, well, this is just a no brainer. This is just, this is, you know, God putting things together. And I felt very called to sort of pursue. And so pursue, I did, I pursued you, you were flooded with stuff. So then I went through Madeline and Madeline sort of kept hooking me up with you. I went back and looked at emails this morning from back then. Mm -hmm. And it's all me to Madeline to you me to Madeline to you, then you to Madeline to me, and until finally we got directly communicating with each other. But um, 
the day that I sent an email to Madeline saying Alana Shepard has said, use her name. Didi and I met at a Starbucks to strategize what to do. And once you were, you know, once you guys were at Shepard, Didi met you guys there. Didi right? met us, right. So let, let's go there. So, so you she remember our coming. But Billy wasn't there yet. I came the day Billy arrived. Mm-hmm. Which was on so his birthday. So you drove your car down. Uh, Dee Dee went there and met you and got sort of a list of things you needed and um, just was so excited to be able to, like, get some stuff. And then um, she was leaving town, and she was kind of upset, but it was Labor Day weekend. And I said... Believe it or not, we're here, and we, none of our kids are in town. I have an abundance of time this weekend. And so I showed up right when, I guess, Billy had only been there a little while. Yeah, just like like maybe not even hours. All were there in the ICU. I came. I had some lunch and a plant. <laughs> and oh, my gosh. Because, I remember. Um, because I, I read that you really loved, you know, having living, breathing things in the room, and that was good for his course he wouldn't be in a room for another 10 days or so but at the time it just seemed like the right thing to do but um I so remember that I do too I remember walking around the corner I remember seeing you and Billy standing there you guys I hadn't seen you in what 30 years yes at least and you guys look exactly the same to me um (laughs) a little wider (laughs) but the same and um and it was just kind of a moment. I was like, oh, this is real. Y'all are really here. This is happening. Um, and you were really real for us. Like, well, that, glad to hear that. That, that's Mary McCune. <laughs> you know? She really, she really exists. She's yeah. here. Mary had been standing there waiting for me in the waiting room when we arrived at the Shepherd Center. It seemed we had friends in Atlanta we didn't know we had. Some had been from there and moved back, and some had moved there from other places in the last 30 years since we had seen each other. It was a surreal moment for me trying to put it together, but it was also so real because I knew them. I since learned that even prepping for our arrival reconnected Mary with our other friends from college, too, and the friendships we all had at Virginia when we were so much younger. There was a natural familiarity. So so tell us about that when you met at the Starbucks. Well, you know, we hadn't seen each other in 30 years either. It's so funny. Our kids had been in fifth grade together, but we never knew that. I didn't know she lived in Atlanta. I didn't know Jasmine. Her name was Dee Dee Jasmine. <laughs> Deirdre Jasmine in college, she was Dee Provosti. Yeah. It was just a different person, you know? Um, and, and we've so always we think that. of Dee Dee as being in New Orleans, and then right. she had moved to Atlanta, yeah. yeah. And so and so there was this whole, so we laughed when we realized our kids were in the same grade in, in, in elementary school, and we never really made the connection that we were, um, had known each other in another life, so um, amazing. that was fun. And she lives, you know, in walking distance. From my house. Even even more amazing. I remember when I learned yeah. that, I just I couldn't believe it. And and just to add a little spice to that, when I saw Dee Dee on the first day, it was like, Dee Dee, what are you doing here? Because I'm still thinking Dee Dee Provosti is still down in New Orleans. <laughs> and Madeline is sort of who woke up Dee Dee and me in Atlanta, because she sort of said, this is an Atlanta thing now, it's heading your way, kind of, and I, it was just, it was great. So we got real involved in planning, I guess our thinking was, what are the needs, and what, what needs could be met? Funny, isn't it? How you can have relationships with others from another place and time, and in just a moment, you can be reunited and pick up where you left off with an ease and a trust and a deep concern for the well-being of each other, both part of what seems like another lifetime, each other's past, the growing up past. These past connections 
awakened the formation of the Atlanta Angels showing up for our family. And it all got started, ignited really, by Madeline McGee, who was reading the blogs and texting me, another Virginia friend in Charleston, South Carolina. Never doubt how your web of a lifetime of friendships can have profound impact on your life when you need it most. As you will hear in the next Archer blog excerpt, other friends and friends of friends near and far continue to show up. I hope you enjoy the kind messages that poured in and which helped anchor us as Archer and we continued to get our bearings at the Shepherd Center. I also hope you might consider sending similar messages to others you know in their time of crisis, whatever your web of relationship is to them. September 6, 2015, Day 33, Day 4 at Shepherd, Sunday. Family and Friends Update I have heard from some of you in the most kind and intimate of messages. Thank you for that. Your unexplained urges to pray for Archer in the middle of the night or to awake with him on your mind in the early morning or to think of him during the routine of your days are surely God's whisper that Archer needs God's believers storming heaven again, especially the last couple days here. The transport was hard on him, despite the gentle and expert caregivers, and we know those prayers and God's answers to those prayers sustained Archer then and in the turnaround we are witnessing now. Steady but sure. The early dawn pushed through our blinds. Did you sleep last night? We had stretches of silence in the darkness between the turnings and the meds and the x-rays. I had hoped he had been sleeping. He mouthed, can't sleep. It's been three nights here and he hasn't slept much at all. Our nurse came in and asked if he slept. He again mouthed, I can't sleep. And she said, That sleeping aid didn't work? He nodded in the negative. Archer really looked defeated. After she left, I whispered to Archer as I noticed the rings around his eyes getting darker. Darling, we're going to figure this out so you can sleep. And you may think you can't sleep, but you can. You can rest even if you don't sleep. Your body knows how to rest and wants to rest. And when you rest, you find peace. He smiled. I told him, it's all in our minds, Arch. It's your mind that keeps you from sleeping. And just as it keeps you awake, it can lull you to sleep. It's a beautiful thing. So much of what we think we can't do is in our minds. We limit ourselves a lot by that kind of thinking. We can do and feel whatever we tell ourselves. Our minds are very powerful. I shared with him that when I think I can't sleep either in these hospital rooms because of all the beeps and interruptions or because of what is on my mind, I tell myself I can rest 
and then I close my eyes and incorporate into my thinking all the things fighting me and making me anxious and I welcome them in and breathe with them and through them and incorporate them into my breath and I feel peaceful and even if I don't sleep I can still find rest and I also shared that sometimes I forget to do this and find myself exhausted and not at my best but when I remember and we can remember together it brings peace it truly does he smiled again he asked me if I'd talk him through it we closed our eyes together and did this focus on rest for a little while he seemed contented I told him we could do it together daily if he wanted it will be good for both of us he then slept a bit during the resting the rounds started not as vigorous as during the week since it's a weekend and a holiday weekend at that but the docs came by and told us Archer's white cell count went from 6 to 10 and now is 18 and on the rise. His main doc was checking for why and ruling things out. Archer doesn't have a fever. The new definition of a fever? Not below 97 or above 100 as it is the new norm that Archer will swing between those temperatures since his sympathetic system and parasympathetic systems are not working with each other as ours does due to the damage to his spinal cord. For instance, he doesn't perspire anymore below his shoulders, and so his body does not cool itself off as well as it did before. Another hour went by with more blood work and cultures taken. I've always been very willing to allow Archer to be silent, as I think he and God are working this out and need the time to do so without interruption. But it seemed he was more and more labored. As more time went by, I asked Archer how it was going. He opened his eyes and mouthed, I can't breathe get jewel i immediately went to go find her jewel is the respiratory therapist who has been at her work at shepherd for 40 years she is a large brown-skinned earthy woman whom archer likes very much assured by her manner and her care and her expertise she tells him exactly what she's doing in the most down-to-earth and encouraging way. She is so real. She knows. When Jewel entered, Archer mouthed to her to do one of the ventilator deep lung suctions, once he has had therapists and nurses do all day and night long since the ventilator was put on in Atlantic Care. Each suction forces Archer to gag and writhe as he tries so hard to get the mucus up and out of his lungs that is being pulled out by a smaller tube the respiratory therapist threads down his throat to suction it out, hoping that more has been dislodged and loosened by the turnings. We are hoping for a time when fewer and fewer of these suctions will be needed because Archer's capacity will get stronger to clear the secretions himself and the secretions will not be so thick then archer may get off this vent oh 
that's a prayer unto itself. As Jewel threaded the tube down Archer's trach openings into his lungs, she could tell there was a plug in the left shoulder area, and she said to Archer, I feel it. I feel it. Hang in there, baby. We're going to get that plug out. No wonder you can't breathe. You can't, but you will soon. And she and Archer worked hard through contortions and Archer's left arm spastically bouncing up and out in reaction to the involuntary movement of his shoulders to the deep lung suctioning. She got it. She said it was so thick it could hardly pass through the tube. And she held up the jar and tube to show me this awful looking, almost rubbery stuff dangling from the tube, still not dropping into the jar. They really do know what they're doing here. A few hours later, Archer told me he couldn't breathe again and to get Jewel. She came waddling back into the room and said, Yeah, baby, I know. It's another plug. Hang on. I could tell it'd be back because we couldn't get it all before. Hang on. We're going to get it all now. You ready? And they did. And it was hard and painful going. And it was quite a sight. I took a picture to show Archer so he knows the labor of his efforts is not in vain. His chest x-rays show some mucus, but no pneumothorax. Yay! They will clamp the remaining chest tube today and take it out tomorrow. Lungs should no longer be a problem now. Good work, prayer warriors. Archer's army may rest, but probably not for long. Billy arrived and brought in the couple boxes of things we will need for our sojourn here. And in came more cards from home that you had left in our foyer at home in Baltimore for Archer. We are so grateful. Archer so looks forward to them and really needs them. Please, please keep sending. You can send directly to him. Archer Sent, in care of Shepherd Center, 2020 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30309. I just love their address, too. 2020. Yep, that's the vision and clarity we seek. 2020. Our doc ordered a CAT scan of the head, thinking the high white count might be sinus, even though Archer has no indication with nasal drip or anything like that. He was accurate. The CAT scan showed Archer indeed has infection in both lobes of his sinuses, deep down in the bony area where the antibiotic is not effective unless they have a sample to know which antibiotic would attack it. I looked back at my medical journal and it's weird because I asked in Atlantic City if they looked at Archer's ears and olfactory system with a scan as I was concerned about his titanium in his ear, whether he had had a concussion and also concerned about his increasing loss of smell. I was told that there was a brain scan and that it was normal and that trauma treats the injury and the ear and nose are not part of it. It's okay, but I just wonder if we would have picked it up then. I try to listen to my intuition and act on it. I did ask, but I didn't push. I wish I had. 
it's been so complicated. I am reminded at so many turns of the impact of Archer's drowning or near drowning and taking in seawater and all the many things he's experienced that would make it hard for any team not specialized in spinal cord injuries to know exactly what is going on. And I'm also thinking about all the time he spent in a bed lying down about a month. That's a long time. Here, it feels as if they are looking at everything and it's all geared to getting him up and moving. So another broad spectrum antibiotic was ordered to hold the infection at bay as we are awaiting the otolaryngologist surgeon's recommendation. The area where the infection is pocketed is separated from the brain by bone, but very thin bone, about the width of a piece of paper, they said. We will keep you apprised, dear prayer warriors, and Archer's army will storm heaven again. I do not want to worry, as worry gets us nowhere. But I am a little worried. And while this is another setback, it is also a step forward to getting him whole for the rehab journey. And we believe, we really believe, that all the prayers of all the believers have brought all the angels and graces to Archer's bedside and probably spared Archer for what may have otherwise happened, death at so many turns. And the prayers have surely given him the strength to endure. Isn't that what we really are in need of in our tough times and our dark moments, the strength and courage to endure and be sustained as the darkness unfolds into light again. I recall what Frank Pugh, one of our Baltimore mediation mediators, deceased at 80, God rest his soul would tell me every year when I sent out my annual email to our team, expressing my gratitude for each one of them and for the bounty we have and the good work we are privileged to do and the holiday we were all celebrating with family wherever we were, which for our family was always in our beloved Cape May, July the 4th. And each year, Frank would call me later in the day and say, thank you, and remind me that we can also always be grateful for what we were spared that we will never know. <laughs> I always loved that and marveled at that. And I love that every year I could expect that call from Frank, who would tell me that sweet piece of information as if for the first time. And I would take it in and wonder at it, as if hearing it for the first time. Each time. <laughs> God is so good. And his army is so good at protecting. And it's surely true that our guardian angels often work overtime. And there it was, serendipitous, but not surprising anymore, as it seems it's more about synchronicity these days, that I opened the card from the large stack Billy had brought from Baltimore. And the sentiment on the front of the card read, May there always be an angel by your side. Yes. And I recognize that card as we have that same, exact same, but different card on our bulletin board in our Baltimore kitchen. I loved it when I first saw it a few years ago. 
As I sat on the pull-out chair bed, I showed Billy the card. He gave me a sweet but sad smile. Oh, in the last many weeks, and again today, as we sit together with Archer, Billy and I have wondered about these things, angels and guardian angels and such. In our private wonderings, Billy has shared with me that he imagined that Archer's guardian angel, who we know loves him so very much, must be so pained, so very pained, to have stepped aside, as pained to have stepped aside, as we are heartbroken. Imagine that angel's agony in that moment, a moment that could have been so different as Archer dove in to take it, as he told me, the night of surgery, a quick dip in the ocean to cool off because the kitchen at work was so hot. A quick dip. Painful. I suppose his guardian angel did save him, though, from drowning. Or that his angel stepped aside because of Archer's free will. And God asked Archer if he wanted to live or cross over, and Archer chose to live, knowing he was completely paralyzed. That it happened seemed unimaginable a few weeks ago, but it is very real now. But for us, we really don't question the why so much as we wonder the what. What is it, good Lord, that this is to bring? We believe it will bring good. It must bring good. A wise priest told a dear friend of ours that much good will come of this. We pray for that. Please, pray with us for that. We know there is meaning in all human suffering and that God doesn't want us to suffer and did not breathe divine life into us so that we would suffer. We also know and accept that suffering is part of our human condition and we all do suffer. We also believe that is why God gave us life eternal so that we can endure our human sufferings and experience that divinity right now. After all, isn't that why God sent us his only son who suffered mercilessly and then forgave us? So when I am experiencing the acute, sharp sadness that is stained at moments with desperation, I tell myself it's okay to feel it so I can remind myself of my humanity and how much I need God so I can then move through it with my aliveness and find relief and comfort from those who help me ameliorate it with compassion and kindness. And that's all of you who are doing that for me and our family and for Archer in ways that perhaps he knows best in his deepest meditative state. I've watched Archer in that deep state. It's a reason for keeping his room as best we can with minimal loud voices and piercing beeps for extended periods and no noisy electronics 
and harsh sounds of TV and commercials. He needs to be able to find that state. I believe he is working it out with God. And Billy and I need to work it out too, but with each other. In our short day and a half together, when all Billy and I wanted to do was fall into each other's arms for support, even if just for a brief moment. Instead, we realized Archer's heightened anxiety about the different CAT scans, his pain on the rise, and wanting one of us in the room with him at all times. Not what we expected once we got here, but totally understandable. So we decided to divide and conquer once again. Our thinking we could go to mass together and have a meal together was not in the plan. And as Archer was wheeled away for another CAT scan this time to look at his full C-spine to try to figure out why his white blood cell count is high and climbing, we had an argument. I'm so disappointed in myself. I know that it happened as we tried to discuss in 30 minutes what we need about five hours to do around the issues of finances, tuitions, and balance sheets, and on it goes. I know we were both speaking to each other out of fear, and we react differently to fear, he and I. I felt such deep remorse afterwards, and he had to leave to catch the plane back this afternoon. Please, pray for us and our humanity that we remain strong even when we stumble. I know our hearts are breaking every day, over and over, and now Archer's heart is breaking too. It's so real. Yet I know we're not broken, and I believe we will not break. I just need courage. Billy and I need courage. Archer needs courage. Your prayers give us courage. Please pray that we will have courage. Please say a family prayer together. You know I love the rosary. Pray it with your family for us and for your own family and all families to be strengthened no matter what they face. Amen. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is so precious. Sending love, hope, for everything, obtain everything. Thank you for tuning in to the Blink of an Eye story. You may continue listening next Wednesday to the trauma healing learnings that accompany this story at Trauma Healing Learning 3, Unlearn Your Pain, which features an interview with Dr. Howard Schubiner, an internal medicine physician who is clinical director of freedom from chronic pain, and the author of Unlearn Your Pain. Thank you for listening and telling your friends about Blink of an Eye. Don't forget to subscribe and follow. Together, we are raising the vibration for healing. listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com. 
or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is sponsored by I See That, the Integrative Center for Trauma Healing, Advocacy, and Transformation. I See That is a multidisciplinary nonprofit that provides tangible support, trauma healing education, and advocacy for those experiencing crisis or trauma. To donate, please visit www.icthat.org. That's the letters I-C-T-H-A-T dot O-R-G.